Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. What did come out of David's mouth? In the name of God, Jehovah of Israel, I come against you. Over. See, it came out of where? His mouth. Because he believed it. Listen, where? In his heart. So Jesus says, when we have these problems, you have to be positive. You have to say things are going to happen according, don't go off the deep end, you'll see in a moment, according to the truth that's in the word of God. Sometimes when life is not going as we planned or when we're faced with a particular trial or temptation, suddenly we're filled with all kinds of doubts and fears, and our mouth betrays our heart. In today's message, Pastor Mark reminds us of David when he was in the valley with Goliath. From what perspective did he view his circumstance? What came out of his mouth? Grumbling, complaining, or questioning? No, David knew that God was in control of his situation. There was no question of the outcome. Do you? Are you in the valley? Learn the language of faith and watch God work. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark with part two of his message entitled, Faith in the Valley. See, we don't teach the Bible like, here's history, nice story, have a good day. No, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you were there, here's the question. This is the one that challenged me big time this week. If there's nobody else around and the father brings a demon-possessed son to me, does the father go away with the delivered boy? This applies to us. You say, well, I would bring him to you, Pastor Mark, because that doesn't apply to me. No, you're wrong. It applies to every single one of us. See, God places us in the valley and then opens doors of opportunity so I, through the power of God, whatever the situation is, can go and bring Christ and a changed life. So let's learn why the nine failed. We're going to do that together. And I think it's going to be Incredibly exciting as we do that. Now, remember, here's the next thing you want to write. Discipleship and faith, they're not really tested on the mountaintop. They are tested in the valleys of life. Too long, many of you have been church people. And you're just used to form and ritual and whatever. We do our hour thing or hour and a half thing. We're out of here. We go back to the world. What I learned on the weekend, maybe I'm going to have a couple Bible studies in the morning and whatever devotion time, but it really has no effect on my life. I'm not really involved with people in the valley. That's wrong. 
God is here in my following him, my discipleship, my faith are really tested here in the valley. Now, remember, the nine disciples are a picture of you and I. We, like them, are still works in progress. There isn't anybody here. I'm in being trained. I've been training just like you are. And there in my life will be times of success. But I have to confess to you this morning, there's also times of failure in my life. By the way, how about you? Times of success? Times of failure? Be honest. Yes. So, how is Jesus going to respond to this? What is he going to say? Look at verse 17. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Here's the key, and I want you to circle this in your Bible. Watch it just a moment. Bring the boy here, circle these words, to me. To me. You see, my success as a Christian relates to Christ in me, not me. Well, people will bring situations to me, but I have to have the power of God working through me. Now, you see here an interesting thing. You see the real emotions of Jesus. Quite often, we don't see that. But he's actually exasperated. He sees failure in front of him. Now, notice, he says, unbelieving and perverse generation. Who's he speaking to? Well, first... The crowd is Jewish. When Jesus came and he announced that he was the Messiah about two years before this, what did the average Jew in Israel think of Jesus being the Messiah? Was it yes or was it no? It was no. So he says to them, you're an unbelieving and perverse what? Generation. Generation. By the way, if you go to Europe today, what would Jesus say to Europe? You're an unbelieving, perverse generation. Why? Because they're without God. They don't believe in God. See, if you're in a church and everybody's my age, it's time to get to another church. (laughs) Now, I still got plenty of zip. Don't give me that stuff. (laughs) But guys, Jesus looks at this generation and he says they're unbelieving. Well, he also is saying that to the leaders because they're perverse. They're actually saying, the religious leaders, what were they saying about Jesus? Not only were they non-believing, but what did they say? You're from Satan's camp. He's frustrated. He expects the average person to be unbelieving. He already knew what the church was. He expected them to be unbelieving. But where he's hurt, his disciples. And notice he says this. How long? It's a time frame. Two years ago, Jesus had been dealing with his disciples. He's been teaching them for two years. He's got one more year to go before he turns the ministry in the valley to his 12 disciples. Notice his frustration? Whoa. They are learning. But will they get it? I've only got a year to go. And I've got to turn this ministry over to them. Here's my question to you and me. Are we getting it? Guys, we do not have time to play religion. 
People are dying everywhere. This country, unless we make a change, this country will become an unbelieving, perverse country. We're headed that way. Whenever the ACLU wants, they'll take God out of everything. I don't worry about the laws and all this stuff. Yes, we're going to vote. You need to vote right. But guys, we need to shine like crazy for Jesus. And when they see a changed life, when they see a changed life, they'll also realize we're salt. We are different. Not because of us, but because Jesus lived in us. So we see this frustration from him, and he's concerned that, well, maybe they're not learning fast enough. So what does he do? Look at verse 18. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and I love this, he was healed from that very moment. Mark 9 tells us that when Jesus did this, and it could be that this demon, there's some commentators that believe this demon was a, a strong demon that the disciples had never faced before. There's all kinds of different strengths and things. It's a spiritual world. And it tells us in Mark when Jesus said to the demon, come out, that the demon started to come out, but cast the boy on the ground and put him into this state. And it, the people thought he was dead. It was like, oh, Jesus failed. It says in Mark that Jesus just walked over to the young man and went, took his hand, got him up, and he walked to his, back to his dead, instantaneously healed. Never to have a seizure again, never to fall in the water again, never to fall into a fire again. Totally, instantaneously healed. Is that possible? Is it? Is it possible today? Let me bring it home. Is it possible through your life today? Well, young lady came to me probably, I'm guessing, 2021. She says, Pastor Mark, the story is so relevant for me. I had epileptic fits all my life. And when I became 14 or 15, I think, she said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And from the day that I accepted him, it's been five years, I've never had another seizure again. Now you say, well, that's, that, that's just that, that's coincidence. No, that's not a coincidence. So the next thing you need to write is this. Life in the valley is exciting because the power of God transforms lives. And that's what the world's waiting for. It's not waiting for dead religion. They're sick of it. Because they walk in and out of the church and nothing happens. Guys, we have to be careful. That's why I'm teaching this. I was going to finish chapter 17. I can't do it. Because God took me to the woodshed a little bit. I got it. You're going to get it. In a nice way. In a nice way. You see, don't look at people with problems like, oh, man. No, it's exciting because God wants to transform people's lives. Well, then the disciples in verse 19 do something. Well, you, you recognize it. If you just blew it in the front of the crowd, would you go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, while the crowd's here, would you just kind of tell us what we did wrong? No, you wouldn't. You'd go, Jesus, there's a back room over here. Go. I can hear Jesus say, what? What? What'd you say? Would you? So what does he do? They go to a private place. By the way, do you like to be corrected in a private place? I do. I don't want to be corrected in front of you. Jesus does the wise thing. So they go to this private place, away from the crowd, 
Crowds making fun of them anyway already had been. The religious people had been. Look at verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? They're puzzled because they were powerless. When you come to Jesus, I love to know that he has all the answers to life. Look at verse 20. He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, the smallest seed there is in Israel, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, right by this verse, Jesus says the reason was there's a problem with your faith. You need to write this down or you'll misunderstand what Jesus is saying. It's not the quantity of faith. It was the quality of their faith. So write that right in your verse. It's not the quantity. Because he said, if you have faith as small as the small, a little teeny mustard seed. It was the quality of their faith. I'll explain what that means in a moment. The other thing you have to understand is, we, when we read this, we don't kind of get, say to this mountain, what's up with that? What does he mean? Here's what you need to write. You have to understand what it meant then, and of course, what it means to us now. A mountain was a very common term, and all it meant is a difficult problem facing you. It's something you're looking at. Could be cancer, could be a disease, could be a doctor, could be finance, could be you're trying to sell your home, could be education, could be a marriage thing, could be a child. It's a problem facing you. And Jesus says, well, of course, we know what the problem is, was this young man with a, a demon. And Jesus says, if you would have believed in your heart, and if you would have spoken with your mouth, look back in verse 20, I want you to circle something. It says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can circle this word, say, say. You know, we're not into the, the hyper faith people. They're going to have them with us, but we, we, don't, we believe that's taking it too far. I don't believe I can just say to you this morning, well, I'm going to bring this situation into existence. I'm just going to use my words and, you know, my house needs to sell tomorrow. God, my house will sell tomorrow. I demand it by my words. Careful. You may not even have a house after you do that. <laughs> so that's unbalanced. But because of the excess, we miss an important principle. Jesus said, if you talk to the mountain, in other words, I realize that it's God talking with his power through me. Let me give you an illustration. Many, many Christians do a lot of self-talk, not to other people, but to yourself, and you're always talking against yourself. I'm not good enough. I can't make it. I don't know why God gave me this. I'm useless. But here's how some of us get up in the morning. Oh, God. Another day. I'm a Christian. I know you love me, but I really don't have anything to offer this world. Man, when I was going down the line and being created, you must have been on a break. I got nothing. I'm just useless. Now we laugh, but that's how many of you do. Now, I'm not one of these guys either that stands from the mirror. It's going to be a great day. I'm tremendous. I'm the best looking guy there is. God's going to give me money. I'm going to be a tail, whatever. Come on, come on. But there is a balance. Can you imagine little David? In the Old Testament, big giant Goliath. David gets out there. With some of you and I, 
with these kind of mentalities? He has these stones. He goes, that giant's big. God, why'd you put me here? I got stones. Well, let's see what happens. No. What did come out of David's mouth? In the name of God, Jehovah of Israel, I come against you. Boom, over. See, it came out of where? His mouth. Because he believed it. Listen, where? In his heart. So Jesus says, when we have these problems, you have to be positive. You have to say things are going to happen according, don't go off the deep end, you'll see in a moment, according to the truth that's in the word of God. So what Jesus is saying is, if you would have believed in your heart, if you would have spoken it with your mouth, and if you would have expected the mountain to move, the landscape would have changed. This young boy would have been delivered. Well, that's lesson number one. Turn with me to Mark 11 quickly. Mark 11. Let me go through with you and give you a definition of faith. And let's judge our own faith this morning. Not, not the quantity, the quality. Is it active? Is it, is it really taking place in my life? Mark eleven twenty two, And I want you to circle words when I get there. I'll tell you. Have faith, circle these two words, in God. Jesus answered. You see, faith has to have an object. Jesus didn't say, have faith in faith. Have faith in your pastor. Have faith in your past experiences and victories. Have faith in your church. No, he didn't say any of that. He said, you have trust in faith in God. Now, here's the definition of faith. It'll take you a moment to write it down, but I want you to do that. Real active faith, in other words, vibrance, got something to it, quality. It's believing the word of God, which means the promises of God, and then acting on it. It's not just belief. Belief has got to be put into action. No matter how I feel or what I see, because God promises a good result. A good result. You see, the object of faith is not me, it's not the church, it's not my education, it's not the years I've been teaching. The object of faith in my life is God himself and his word, and his word. Beth Moore says it like this, we believe in God, but we really don't believe God. You see, it has to have an object. Now, how do I get this kind of faith? The Bible tells us that every one of us have been given a measure of faith. You've been given a measure of faith. Well, how does that get healthy? Romans 10, 17, the New King James says it like this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more we read, the more we hear, the more we obey the word of God, the more faith we will have. Now, think about this. If this is what changes lives, Jesus said it didn't happen because of your faith. If this is what changes lives, what will, and I'm giving you the answer already, what will Satan attack? It's the word of God. So the more you're in the word of God, the more faith grows, the more useful I am in the valley. 
because I understand the promises of God. Now, let me bring a balance to you. Next, next statement you want to write. True faith must always be based on a command or a promise of God. Now, what's the opposite of that? You and I are not free to determine what God wants to do without asking him for his will. If we try to have faith and just say, God, I want you to do it my way, and I I know this is where you're going. I don't need to ask you. I'm doing this thing. Then that's presumption. Presumption is not faith. So you and I just can't go and say, God, I want you to do this. I'm going to speak it with the mouth. Here it's going to happen. No, no, no. I respond to the written word of God, and I discover the promises of God in there, and that's when I can have faith that God's going to work. Let me give you a couple examples. This week I had two funerals. When I get in a teaching environment, when I do a funeral, and at the end I always give an altar call for people to accept Christ. How do I know, how do I know from the word of God, do I walk into that thing expectantly? Absolutely. So when I give an altar call, I expect people to get changed at the end. Now, why is that? Well, I know this. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise from God. Nobody turned away. So if the person's serious, God's going to save them. By the way, what's the biggest mountain in any person's life? It's their sin. And see, typically in an environment, you have all the relatives come and friends. They're not in church. And so they think they're going to heaven because of their good works. By the way, you can't push a mountain of sin out of your life with good works. That mountain's already been taken care of on Mount Calvary. And so I say to them, you can't become a believer until you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, admit you're a sinner, and then begin to follow him. I don't use the term Christian very much, and I explain to them why. Because most of you people sitting in this funeral think you're Christians. You're not. By the way, the United States is not a Christian nation anymore, in case you didn't know. So I challenge him. So I go expectantly. Now, what if no one accepts the Lord? That's okay, because I have another promise. You know what it is? His word never returns void. I have people that will call me or email me. I don't know if one person will or 12 or none. I leave that up to God. I do my part. But I know if they come, he'll save them. I get people to email me. Pastor Mark, I needed to come to bed, but I was afraid to come. Will God still save me? I said, no, you have to come next Sunday. (laughs) No. What do I do? Pray with them on the phone right there. Can they get saved right there? Absolutely. Now, what happened? As long as I'm preaching the word and I'm not sinning, it's not my fault. What happened when that person calls me on Monday was the word was planted and it kept growing to the point the guy goes, can't take it anymore. I got to turn my life over to God. Yes. It doesn't return to me void. So understand that's what we're talking about here in the scripture. So real faith requires expectancy. Faith is what is going to get us through the valleys of life. But what is faith? In today's edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark showed us that real faith is believing the promises of God and acting upon them regardless of what I see or feel. We know that God has promised to cause all to work together for good, even in the valleys. So our goal should be to anchor ourselves in His promises and expect Him to do mighty things. 
Maybe you're listening right now and God has placed a certain person on your heart that needs to hear this message. Or maybe you'd like to share it with all of your friends. There's a simple way to share this message. Log on to Lessons for Living Radio and click on the radio program option in the main menu. There, you'll find the Lessons for Living media player. In the Messages tab, simply click on today's date. Then you can share today's message directly on your Facebook page, Twitter feed, or send a link via email. You can even embed today's message directly. Again, to share today's message with friends and family members, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Click on the radio program button, then simply click on today's date. You'll find all the options to share. We can expect God to move in response to our faith in God's Word. In the next edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will share with us some important truths regarding faith. Nothing in the will of God is impossible if we have real, genuine faith in His promises. Mountains don't move when we act independently of God instead of trusting in Him. But when we do trust Him, God moves in ways we could never imagine. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right. i